1: was the nfl draft and yes we are off and running on cardinals underground here we go follow me paulie podcast darren urban cowardard if the weather was the nfl draft i wouldn't even believe that it actually rained last night if 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 the rain that was falling on my head this morning And If an NFL GM had been the one telling me it was raining, even though I was experiencing it, I still wouldn't believe it because I'm not believing anything. And the only thing less reliable than the five-day forecast is any sort of forecast we're getting T-minus two days and counting from the NFL draft. Are you with me, Darren Urban? I
0: I thought you loved this part of it, Paul. I thought you loved the speculation and the uh, intrigue and the uh, conspiracy theories. You know, you're good at that stuff.
1: Well, I enjoy it. I don't know if I necessarily endorse it, but there is a limit. I I am a man of reason. And when I flip on the business channel and CNBC is holding their own stock draft on Thursday, that's too much. I mean, come on. Now we've jumped the shark. You're probably too young to even know what that means exactly, Kyle, jumping the shark. But CNBC did it when they're holding their own stock market draft of blue chippers uh, stock Wall Street style on Thursday,
2: Fonzie baby. I know, jump the shark. There oh, you not go. that young, there but you go. Uh, my, my uh, I'm just glad that nobody's talking about if we're going to be alive on Sunday, like Kyle Shanahan was saying in his press conference. That was a that was a unique way to go about answering
1: a Jimmy Garoppolo question. <laughs> You're right. Well, let me ask you this because, well, first off. This may be the last time I mentioned that Cardinals Underground is brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, come on now. If we were all going to go out and we were going to face utter destruction a la the dinosaurs millions of years ago, if that's where the human race is going by Sunday, is there any better way to go out than a nice seven round draft over three days NFL style? Come on now. Isn't that the best way to go out?
0: I, I, I got to say, before we get off this topic, I did thoroughly enjoy that. That is, that is one of the new ways to deflect on a question that you really didn't want to have to answer, which is just funny. I, I think the further we go down the, the road of the trade the 49ers made, it really feels like um, maybe they pulled the trigger too early on the trade just for the fact that they've had to endure this all And it's funny as much as I really enjoyed the world ending potential of the one quote from Kyle Shanahan. I also enjoyed the other one where I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically was asked about if he'd seen all the tweets and and comments from not only pundits, but fans about who they should take at three. And he basically said it would be malpractice to listen to any of that stuff. So, uh, you know, (laughs) if fans ever want to know what, what, what the decision makers are thinking—that's pretty much it. Which is no, they're not. They're not listening to, to the suggestions you're making.
1: So if the fans are getting in the head of Kyle Shanahan, is he trying to get in the head of the fans by saying, "Well, you might be wa- wiped off the face of the earth by Sunday"? Is that is that sort of his revenge? Is that is that sort of some mental warfare going back and forth? He can't officially do it on Twitter, obviously, and respond. That would be beneath him as an NFL head coach and decision maker. But to intimate that, hey, you know, you might all be doomed by the day after the draft anyway. So there's that.
2: Yeah, he's looking at the bright side. Like if I draft Mac Jones at number three and he doesn't work out and Trey Lance and Justin Fields become superstars, that's not good. But at least we're still all alive. So I can see the thinking there.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm going to stand by what I said when they first pulled the trade, what, three weeks ago now? And that is you gave up two future first round picks for the option of selecting either Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones. You can count me among those doubters. I'm not going to go as far as saying I'm one of the haters, but I am a dubious at best on that trade for that trio of quarterbacks. I do think they paid through the nose and I do think they overreacted and probably did so prematurely. That, that's going into this draft, that's where I stand right now. Kyle, what's your opinion? I mean, we know what happened. What's your opinion on what happened?
2: I don't find fault with it if they're confident in what they're doing. And we'll see who they select and we'll see what they say after the draft. But I think if if you find... A good quarterback at number three i think that team is going to be set up really well because they have a really good team overall that quarterback's going to be cheap like i'm not going to really fault any team for drafting a quarterback that high because it's it's such a valuable commodity when they hit but you're right i think these next two or three years are going to be really interesting to see what this quarterback looks like whoever they take i mean the organization can either take off because they have a good young quarterback and a bunch of talent around him, or they might be in this purgatory where they have a guy who struggles is up and down. And then in three or four years, maybe you're in the exact same spot. So I agree with you where it's a big risk. I, I understand why you would take that risk because a cheap quarterback is that important in the NFL. Um, but yeah, it's a huge decision and, and I'm very interested to see what they do. See, I
0: gotta, I gotta, first of all, Paul. The first thing I thought of when you say you're not one of the haters, I mean, I, I had heard that while you still uh, do the, the sponsorship and the commercials for Ford, um, that you were in talks at one point to do a something with Hater Aid, so I, I don't think that's completely out of bounds for you. I will say that.
1: Well, I, I did do, grow up in the Silicon Valley and I still get a lot of texts from a lot of buddies about the stinking 49ers. So I'm I know I I will say there is a li- it's a little personal, a little bit.
0: I get that. Um I, I do I'm one of those people that do believe that they traded up for a specific person. I know the most recent things Kyle Shanahan said was that they have five quarterbacks they really like and they're talking about it. I'm not really sure what the point of of putting that out there at this point is is if you're going to stay and and make the pick anyways. But um, I I think they had somebody in mind. I think, I think ultimately it is going to be Mac Jones, um, which is a little bit surprising, but just given the way Kyle Shanahan has kind of reacted to a lot of stuff, I I think Jones is probably going to end up being the guy. And there's a lot of people that scratch their heads over that. But, you know, I, I go back to 2018 2018 yeah 2018 when baker mayfield went first and if you go two three months out before the draft baker mayfield was a guy that people were thinking might fall the way to 15 where the cardinals were originally and was the the last of the quarterbacks that were potentially going to get drafted and then by the time we're at top of it it's baker mayfield going number one and so i just think that people don't know and uh, it's going to be interesting that if he's the guy, even if he wasn't the guy, but even if he's the guy, I mean, it goes back to everything. We've talked about quarterbacks all the time. And this goes for Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville. This goes for if Zach Wilson goes to the jets, which is you're, you're making a pick and you're, you're keeping your fingers crossed. I mean, we just saw it with this team one year out with Josh Rosen. We are now seeing it with the jets who dumped Sam Donald, who was what? The third overall pick, um, the year he came out and that was just what, three years ago. I mean, it's easier for teams to move on, but it is a big, big move to, to draft a guy. And, yeah, the Jets moved on from Sam Darnold, but that cost the former GM his job and the former coach's job. So there's still a lot at risk here uh, with whoever the 49ers take or the Jets or the Jaguars for that matter.
1: Of course, that's just the Jets being the Jets, right? Their last seven first-round picks have not signed a second contract with the team so yeah that's that's a pretty uh dubious track record in of itself if you're wondering by the way what I text back to these niner loving buddies of mine uh thanks for asking I tell them I say okay sourdough Sam let me get this straight you just traded away two future first round picks to draft yesterday's quarterback you're in a division with Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and you're going to take the antiquated quarterback you're not going to take the dual threat guy who can keep a defense on us with the legs and the arm you're not going to go justin fields or trey lance and you're going to take mac jones okay well you've got my attention now that's um, intriguing is one word for it i'll be kind
2: yeah i think you're right i think there's going to be a lot of question marks if it is mac jones and he's going to be under a microscope and Yeah, I mean, it's gone to a more mobile position, undoubtedly, with with Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson and all these guys can at least move a little bit. So I think Mac Jones fits that scheme pretty well. I think he can do what Kyle Shanahan wants him to do. But those other guys are pretty talented, too. So we'll we'll see what happens. But it's it's definitely the biggest question is is what what the Niners are going to do and then how that quarterback is going to look.
0: I don't disagree on the, on the context of uh, having somebody a little bit more mobile, but I will say this. I don't think it matters. And I think ultimately Kyle Shanahan and for a lesser extent, John Lynch, they have to pick the guy that they think is going to be the best guy. And if it happens to be Mac Jones and he's not as mobile, I don't, I don't think they should think twice about it. If they think Mac Jones is the guy, because in the end if the guy wins it's golden and if he doesn't win and 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 this turns out to be a disaster then he's going to lose his job so it really doesn't matter and we don't know that i mean justin fields and trey lance are way more mobile but we don't know if they're going to be any better of an nfl quarterback and that's ultimately what it is nobody thinks anymore i I mean people that want to kind of rag on Steve Keim, I understand they're going to bring it up sometimes, but does anybody really even care anymore that what they gave up to trade up for up for Josh Rosen or what all that entailed? Because you have Kyler Murray, nobody cares anymore. Now it's about going forward and what Kyler Murray becomes. And nobody's going to care because you're in a better place now. So I think that's ultimately what's going to happen with the 49ers.
1: Which by the way, the pick itself obviously didn't pan out, but the trade to make the pick, I thought it was an absolute steal. You gave up a third and a fifth rounder to go from 15 to 10 and take what you hoped or at least took a shot at your future franchise quarterback. I I thought that was very well bought if you were Steve Kime to go from 15 to 10. There's no way you're going from 15. Let's say the Cardinals try and go from 16 to 11 if J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan is on the board, no way they get away with spending only a third and a fifth-round pick to make that move on Thursday.
0: Well, first of all, at 11, uh, the Giants are picking, and Dave Gettleman made it clear this week that <laughs> you, could, you right. could send the next three drafts to him in total, and he probably isn't going to trade down because he thinks he's getting fleeced. So you're not getting 11 anyway. So I just wanted to make that yeah.
1: Appreciate that, yeah. Well, he's too busy being in love, quote-unquote, with his quarterback, Danny Dimes, which is what he said. Uh, on draft day after selecting him number six overall, the next quarterback after Kyler Murray. So, by the way, one footnote, Kyle, you're gonna, you might enjoy this, uh, which actually runs counter to my argument about the 49ers tracking towards taking yesterday's quarterback. To your point in Kyle Shanahan, hey, they had a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl with Jimmy G, and he's not obviously the most dynamic dual-threat quarterback, not at all, And if he would have made that one pass to Emmanuel Sanders that was behind the defense and he would have missed Emmanuel Sanders with about seven minutes to go in the game, they would have won the Super Bowl. And I I took this quick picture off ESPN the other day, and it was Kyle Shanahan's tendencies as Niners head coach and play caller and offensive designer. They have the highest rate of of, uh, motion in the NFL under Kyle Shanahan. That is what their offense is all about. We know that guys playing them twice a year. They're all about motion under center third highest percentage putting their quarterback under center so that would lend itself towards a mac jones and their top 10 in play action percentage as well those really are the three tenets of any kyle shanahan offense he isn't the running quarterback kind of guy so i guess that would be the counter argument paulie Pencilneck, as to why they would go with yesterday's quarterback mac jones
2: Yeah, I think whoever they take, obviously Kyle Shanahan is going to have a really good sense of what this player can do, what this quarterback can do, and how he slots into the offense, and we've seen Kyle Shanahan twice a year for a long time, and he can really design some plays, and there have been times when the quarterback just didn't get the job done for the Niners, but that wasn't Kyle Shanahan's fault, so I think... If they find a quarterback that can execute what he wants to do, and if they get a cheap one and they can build around him, the 49ers are going to be in really good shape. Um, But to your point, if they miss on this and they spent the bigger draft capital, like, yeah, the Cardinals gave up the third and the fifth to get Josh Rosen, but you're right, it didn't handicap them long term. This is the sort of thing where you traded – so much draft capital that if you miss on this quarterback, you're going to be in a pretty rough spot. So yeah, I'm very interested to see what this offense for the Niners looks like next season. And if it's Jimmy G or the rookie quarterback, it it sounds like Jimmy G might get traded on draft weekend. So a lot, a lot to figure out for the Niners.
1: All right. So here's my segue. We know the Niners are picking number three Cardinals at number 16, as it stands right now, Darren urban, if we were to say that come pick number 16, the two corners are off the board, Horn and Sertan. If Micah Parsons is off the board, if two of the marquee receivers, uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, are off the board, of course, Jamar uh, Chase as well is off the board. If all the above are off the board at number 16, will you wish you were dead on Sunday, according to Kyle <laughs> Is that uh, the disaster that awaits the Cardinals? That's just a step beyond what Kyle Shanahan predicts.
0: It's funny because – and uh, look, I, I, I try not to wish I was dead. In fact, as long as we're bringing this up right now, everyone, if you haven't, please try and get vaccinated as soon as possible. Um, I, I, would, I would say that that is – that not only – I mean – I think the Cardinals would wish it didn't turn out that way, but let's face it, there's a very realistic possibility that that's what's facing them at 16, and they're going to have to figure out some things. I would think, uh, Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman from USC is a very strong possibility. Uh, you don't have any kind of long-term uh, answers per se at guard right now um, or, or even right tackle for that matter, not knowing exactly what's going to happen with Josh Jones. You know, if you can get another young offensive lineman who you can plug in uh, at some point, either now or sometime quickly in the future, I don't think that that would be a bad way to go anyways. And, I, you know, I've seen some things in the teams that are winning Super Bowls end up having some fairly nice situations at offensive line. And this team has done a nice job of trying to upgrade. But, you know, Justin Pugh is not going to be around forever uh, you don't know exactly, again, what you're going to do at right guard. Uh, you know, I, so I, I don't think that that would be the worst thing in the world right there.
1: That is a good point, Kyle. And, and I'll be honest, I tend to overlook that. I mean, Justin Pugh in a one-year deal, right? At least the last year of his deal. Brian Winters a one-year deal. Kelvin Beechram, a one-year deal. Your starting center now is 33, Rodney Hudson. So there's four out of your five that uh are either above the age of 30 or in the last year of their contract that would seem to scream on the depth chart steve kime you need to address that asap
2: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and if you do draft a guy like vera tucker he could immediately compete for that right guard job and if he wins it and he's as good athletically as you deem him to be being a first round pick All of a sudden, I think you like your offensive line quite a bit, and we saw this offensive line last year, and for a good chunk of the season, it was really, really solid. And when it was, that Cardinals offense was moving, and then toward the end, there were some issues, especially running the ball, a little bit in protection on the interior. Um, So I, I feel like adding to the offensive line is certainly never a bad thing. I also feel like if all those guys are gone, it's a, a definitely a legitimate spot to try to trade back, yeah. get into the, into the 20s and add a, a third round pick, add a, whatever you can. And then maybe there's a next cluster of guys at corner or wide receiver or, or linebacker that you really like as well. So I, I think in a perfect world, there's somebody there at 16 that you want. And if not, maybe you look for trading partners and you move down.
0: If you can move down, I mean, let let's say those next couple of corners are around Newsom and and Samuel, and who knows, even Farley. At, in some ways, if you could, if you move down from sixteen to, and I'm just spitballing here, but to twenty four or twenty five, one of those guys might be there, and, and that's not a horrible thing if you're taking a, a a Newsom or a Samuel who, you know, might go early second round, and you just take them late in the first, and yet you've picked up some. Some, that makes a lot of sense to me. So it'll be interesting. And we know Steve Kime is willing to do that stuff. He's no Dave
1: Gettleman. And, and look, addressing the offensive line, if you believe that, well, if you believe what the Rams think and that the division goes through them, you know, the Rams have been smelling themselves something fierce lately, right? So when they have the number one ranked defense and that defensive front and Aaron Donald and company, it's never a bad idea to bolster your offensive line and, and build for the long term. So I'd be on board with that. But, yeah, you know, I guess at that point at number 16, if all those names are gone, and honestly, I think one of those names will be there just because five quarterbacks, I figure, will be gone by the time the Patriots pick at 15, and I think that will push one of those position players down. But here's the other scenario. Bucky Brooks, NFL Network, NFL.com, 3.0. It came out the day of this recording as the Arizona Cardinals going running back. Najee Harris. Kyle, your reaction?
2: Running back at number 16 is pretty rich for me. I think you'd have to believe that that guy will be a, a star and a star pretty quickly because obviously it's one of the least premium positions out there and you have to really believe in that player's talent. So I think it's always a risk to take a running back in the first round because if if they're good, but not great, you're not really getting the value compared to a corner or a wide receiver or a offensive tackler or an edge rusher. But if you feel like Najee Harris is clear cut, the best running back, and he's going to come in and be this dynamic playmaker as a rookie and as a second year guy, then I can see it. Um, but I still feel like a lot of those other positions would have priority to me.
0: I, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I, I, I know talking to uh, Daniel Jeremiah earlier in the offseason, uh, the NFL Network draft analyst, you know, he kind of felt like the Cardinals were in a place where you you might be able to do that now. He's not a big fan of taking running backs definitely high in the draft because the team is so poor, that whoever's picking high, that you know you don't want to be in a position where you're wasting the running backs' best years on a bad team. Um, but And he kind of thought like, the Cardinals were kind of straddling that line. I just feel like it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I can live with, if you spend a second round pick this year, if the right guy is there, maybe they're spending so little at running back right now. I mean, Chase Edmonds is not making much at all. James Connor is not making much at all. You could afford to get another running back, but I, I just, I agree with Kyle. I just think there's just too many other places. You can't tell me uh, that they're, won't be somebody, either a cornerback or an offensive lineman or a playmaking linebacker or a pass rusher that might be there at 16 that might be long-term worth it better, just to have a better value for your roster.
1: It was one of the ESPN platforms, and the question to Mel Kuyper recently was, well, what about taking a running back in the first round, but do not give that running back a second contract? Just take the five years off that first-round deal, and then you move on. And that was the premise. And there was a pretty decent argument, especially when you look at some of the recent running backs who are first-rounders, who got second contracts, or as Zephiel Elliott most recently, and has not panned out whatsoever Anyway, I can't le- replicate the argument, but by the time Mel Kuiper was done, he absolutely destroyed that argument. He is vehement against taking running backs in the first round, it's second round or lower. In his opinion, he made a really compelling and convincing argument. So uh, that I-, I tend to be on, on board with that, especially when you can cite offensive line and edge rusher and corner other areas that Steve Kime has named in the past, one of the big four position groups, right, Kyle, that he would target in the first round, even though he's gone against that a few times, that still is his thesis going in.
2: Yeah. And I, going back to the running back thing, I just feel like it's, it's devalued to a point in free agency where if you, If you give somebody six, seven million dollars, you get a really good running back. So why not spend the money there if you really want a star running back instead of using a first round pick. I just think it's, it's a matter of draft capital. I mean, they'd be cheap, but you're, it's, you're using the pick on a running back instead of a different position. So definitely all things being equal, especially seeing the roster composition this year, like cornerback would be ideal. I just don't think that Patrick Sertan and JC Horner are going to be there. And at wide receiver, will Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle be there? So I think that's the big question mark is what is number 16 going to look like? And, uh, I agree with you, Paul. Like I could see one of those guys dropping because there's enough other prospects that could go up. There's enough quarterbacks that are going to be taken, but I also think it's a distinct possibility that they're all gone by 13, 14, 15. And then it'll be really interesting to see what the Cardinals do. Just
0: And just to put a bow on the whole uh, running back thing, I, I will say that Daniel Jeremiah suggested the same thing, which is basically if you, even if you do spend a first round pick on a running back, you don't give these guys second contracts. You just don't do it. And that's fine. The problem I have with that in the first round is those are the guys that in a lot of ways you hope to be the linchpins of your roster for the long term. And obviously there's lots of guys that wash out. There's lots of first round picks that don't get a second contract anyway. So I understand that. But I would have a hard time passing up a chance to get a guy who might be with you for potentially eight to 10 years at another position and automatically be using the pick on a guy that you know going in before he's ever played it down for you that you'll probably not have him past five years because you don't want to give him a second contract. I would have a hard time with that.
1: Well, you know, look, um, someone brought up the fact, well, Leonard Fournette was a top five pick and he just won a Super Bowl, was a big part of that Tampa team. Yeah, but Tampa didn't draft him. He was the Jaguars' draft pick. So if you want to go about, hey, I'll find a first-round running back who's on the scrap heap from another team. Well, you know, that, that would be my approach.
0: And that's what Jeremiah was saying about a, a bad team picking a running back high. Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley. These guys, they Leonard Fournette might have been fine had he been picked by a good team in the top five. If if somebody had traded up, and it would have been okay. Or or even Bar- I mean, Barkley's been good when he's healthy but what does it matter i mean the giants aren't winning and and again the, the bottom line is you're trying to win and if you're getting a guy that's not helping you necessarily do that because the rest of your roster is is not there that it just doesn't make any sense and you're the here.
2: injury risk the injury risk is 100% a part of the evaluation like yeah. saquon barkley tore his acl christian mccaffrey's been hurt even if these guys are stars at some point if they get hurt at a position where durability is an issue because you're getting hit 20 25 times a game and you're taking a lot of contact I think that's definitely part of it too where even if this guy is a great player he plays a position where you're pretty replaceable and where you get hurt a lot so I think I just think the downside of drafting a running back early is is more than the
1: upside All right, so the injury history. There is our segue here on Cardinals underground brought to you by Pacific office automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals into the Caleb Farley question. Does he, or does he not scare you guys? Cause I'll tell you right now, I'm terrified. I mean, I'm terrified times three, uh, two back surgeries and a torn ACL. Uh, and, and you haven't even hit your pro career. Uh, I, yeah, that, that's enough for me to rule him out of my first round almost, or at least the very bottom of the first round. That would be my initial reaction to that. I don't know what Cardinals team doctors are saying. None of us know that. But, wow, to me, from afar, that's terrifying. Darren?
0: You know, I, I went back and listened to Farley's uh, press conference when he did it during Virginia Tech's Pro Day uh, to kind of hear a little bit about it. And, obviously, the torn ACL is never, never a good thing, although – We've seen plenty of guys coming back from that. I mean, Tyron Matthews had two of those, and it doesn't seem to have slowed him down in his career. So that's not the death sentence it used to be. The back surgery I thought was kind of interesting. I didn't know the details. Um, He didn't get hurt playing football. He got hurt weightlifting and had an original uh, injury uh, that the initial surgery was to, to fix part of it, and then he had another disc that they were hoping was going to self heal over time. And it just never did. And unfortunately, they got to the point earlier this off season, where like, okay, to make sure you're ready for your pro career, we need to do this surgically cause it's not coming around. So it's when I heard back surgeries that, that made me freak out a little bit more than after I heard it. Now, I'm not a doctor. I haven't looked at them. Um, it's, it's going to be tough, and it, I think that, that one's ultimately going to come down to your doctor, period, end of story. Because I, I think if if the, if the Cardinals doctors and, and Tom Reed say this guy's going to be okay, he doesn't have any greater risk of hurting his back or his knee going forward than anybody else you might draft or a negligible higher chance, then I think they're going to take him because uh, ultimately – he, everybody says that, I mean, if he was 100% healthy, he's the best cornerback, period, end of story. Over Sertan, over Horn for everything he brings to the table. So I think that's something to keep in mind.
1: But, but if you're relying on the doctors, and the doctors are the one you have to go on their word as to whether he's even going to be ready for training camp or not, that seems to fly in the face of the Cardinals' M.O. this offseason, which is when now, we're all in, Right now, real time, we're going for it. Drafting to Caleb Farley seems to fly in the face of of that. Whereas he, AJ is Green, a prospect to be on pup list come August.
2: Yeah, that that's how I see it too. I mean, what I thought back was to 2016, I believe it was when they took Robert Kimdiichi, where it felt like the Cardinals in the first round kind of had a luxury pick to take a. A high ceiling boomer bust type guy because their roster was so good that year and they didn't really need to fill anything but if you take caleb farley you're really expecting him to be a key part of that secondary to probably start at cornerback immediately if he can and i agree with you paul like if there's some doubts about whether he's ready to go in camp That would scare me, especially when you talk about at number 16 overall, where there's a lot of very good players that are going to be available. And Darren did a story looking back at historically at the number 16 pick and there's a lot of pro bowlers on that list. So you'd have to really believe that Caleb Farley has a clean bill of health because it's to me, it's too much of a risk. To take him there, if you have any question whatsoever about anything lingering or anything that could pop back up, even though he has that type of talent, I just don't think this team is at a spot where they have that type of luxury like they did in 2016.
1: Yet to Darren's point, Steve Kime talked up Caleb Farley in his media session. He, he was pretty effusive in his praise and, and Farley's abilities. Was that genuine to some degree, knowing that he doesn't want him at number 16, Darren? And, hey, maybe someone else will go for ostensibly the best corner in the draft, and that enhances the odds of a Sertan or J.C. Horn maybe being there at number 16? Do you think perhaps that was sort of a a reverse engineer job by Steve Kime?
0: It's possible. It's possible. But I would also say that – I think Caleb Farley, because of the injuries, no matter what your doctors are saying, you've he's dropped below Sertan and Horn. If you're looking for a cornerback and either Horn or Sertan's on the board, you're taking them before Caleb Farley, period, end of story, because of the risk factor. I think at this point, the Farley thing comes into play like, okay, if I'm looking for a cornerback, uh, now is the injury enough that i'm going to drop him below Samuel on my board am i dropping him below Newsom on my board uh, you know exactly how is that going to work and how early can i take him or how late can i take him or however you want to look at it when i'm feeling comfortable enough uh, to take him i mean i, I don't Caleb Far, Farley's not going to be there when they're picking in the second round i wouldn't think so somebody's going to take him at some point
1: and I've had to educate myself on Greg Newsom, the Northwestern corner, who has been connected to the Cardinals quite a bit in some of the recent mock drafts, either at 16 or perhaps the Cardinals trading down, taking him the end of the first round, uh, the kid out of Northwestern. And he has his own injury concerns, which I didn't realize. He's missed eight, three, and four games during his three starting seasons. So he, he's a guy who's, who has more of a slight frame. From what I can tell, it's akin to maybe a Dominic Rogers Cromartie, kind of a skinnier guy. He's run a 4.38 apparently at one pro day. Uh, he doesn't have DRC speed, but that's he's still a burner. Uh, he's an ultra competitor. Apparently he is a chip-on-the-shoulder kind of guy who wasn't considered a top college prospect, and he competes like all get-out. In fact, if there's one drawback on Newsom, apparently he's drawn a lot of flags, just fighting receivers, and he will compete and contest – every single catch. And so I am curious what the Cardinals think about every cornerback not named Horn, Sertan, or Farley. And, and would you think that Newsom might be the most likely next guy in their list, Kyle?
2: That's basically how it it kind of lines up with the prospect rankings that I've seen. And Newsom could very well be ahead of Farley for a lot of people because like we've talked about the, the medical stuff Number 16, I don't know. I know he's been mock-drafted to the Cardinals there by various people at 16. Um, it, would, it would probably make more sense to me where if you traded down and got him in the 20s, maybe that would be an ideal scenario where you get the cornerback that you like in the first round, but you also pick up uh, some extra draft capital in those later rounds. That would be a nice setup, uh, but I just... I'm not sure what they think of Greg Newsome or how he would fit. I know he played a lot of zone in college, although it seems like he's got the man-to-man ability. Uh, So that would be maybe a little bit of an adjustment period. And like we've been talking about the win now mode, and is he ready to step in on day one and and be a starting cornerback? Or is he a guy that you're going to have to slow play a little bit? So I think that's part of the evaluation too, where if you can get a guy in the first round who is ready to go and and ready to make an impact early I think you put some value to that because even as talented as Isaiah Simmons is it took him about half the season to really get going and. If we don't have an offseason or if it's shortened or whatever these rookies could be behind as well and and to me if you can get a, a more ready guy that would be a big plus seeing as where the Cardinals are in the push for competitiveness.
1: So uh, I have three hot takes I'm going to throw out there over the course of this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Here's number one. If Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn is there before the Dallas Cowboys at 10, because I think if there's one certainty beyond the top three picks in this draft is that the Cowboys are going corner at number 10. So you got to get in front of Dallas. If Horn or Sertan is still on the board at eight or nine, Cardinals trade up and get their guy, their future number one elite cover corner in Horn or Sertan. The question is, what will it cost? But once again, they're all in win-now mode, Darren Urban. Boom, Cardinals pull the trigger on a draft a blockbuster. So they're
0: trading up with the Panthers at eight? Is that what you're saying?
1: Matt Rule and Cliff Kingsbury have a long relationship. Cliff calls Matt. They make it happen. What
0: are you? Uh, let me ask you this question. Are you giving up your second-round pick for that?
1: Probably.
0: Because that's probably what it would cost you. It yep. would probably, I would think without looking at the stuff, I'm guessing it would probably cost you your second round pick. So you're going now you're you're down to one player over the first two days of the draft. It's an interesting uh, conversation. If you feel that strongly about one of those guys, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, but you are really – pushing, you know, Steve Kime told me a couple weeks ago how he thought it was funny. Everybody's talking about them pushing their chips in Uh, that feels very much like pushing your chips in because here, here's the situation kind of what the Cardinals are facing right now, which is, you know, they've got so many guys on one year deals and older guys, and they're going to have some dead money. And you're, you're giving up X number of picks in this scenario again, where you're only going to have so many draft picks and they're thinking the later picks aren't going to be worth nearly as much. Because the draft pool is so small this year because there's a lot fewer players that have come out because they're all, if you had, if you wanted to, you could go back to school. So there's a lot fewer players coming out. Um, It just, it makes it, it makes it very interesting to me where this team is going to sit next year and the year after, after this one, especially if it doesn't work out because you're not going to have a lot of draft capital and you're not going to have a lot of young players, and it's going to be a very interesting kind of swim upstream after that.
1: And you can argue either side. I guess if I'm Steve Kime and I make that deal and it costs me the second-round pick this year to get up into the top ten and take Horn or Sertan, my response would be, well, look at the rest of the division. Nobody else in this division has any future <laughs> picks anyway. I mean, look look what the Seahawks have done, Jamal Adams. Look what the Niners just did. I mean, the Rams don't have a stinking first-round pick until the next turn of the century. Uh, you know, that would be my response. I'm just keeping up with the Joneses in the NFC West. My concern would be you you trade
2: multiple picks to move up, but you also then you still have a rookie who might take some time. Like I just mentioned with Isaiah Simmons, like Patrick Sertan looks like a great prospect, but if he takes half a season to get up to speed, you feel like you're trying to win right now and that could hurt you. So I feel like as more of these big names start popping up as possible trade options, it makes a lot of sense to me to trade a draft pick for a veteran star who you feel like we can plug this guy in like they did with the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Like, yeah, we gave up draft capital, but we know this guy's making an impact from day one. And if you're talking about a two year window right here, I think I would be more apt to trade this draft capital for a veteran if there's a good setup where, yeah, maybe this guy's a little bit more expensive, but we're not giving up as much because they don't cost as much if their salaries are bigger. And then you have a scenario where you plug these holes with proven guys and really push and go for it. Instead of relying on a rookie as talented as they are, there's always those speed bumps.
1: Let me ask you this though, Kyle. When, this be a good situation for a a round one corner to come into considering that CB1 right now is Malcolm Butler unlike when Patrick Peterson was drafted in 2012 I vividly remember game number one his NFL debut he's a rookie and he's going against Steve Smith in Carolina and Steve Smith was fighting him like a Tasmanian devil like he did every single game And believe me, whether Pat ever admitted it or not, it was a wake-up call. Like, this guy is going hand-to-hand combat against me every single snap, and I'm trying to keep up with Steve Smith in his prime. Uh, To me, if I'm bringing in a Sertan or a Horn, this is a pretty good situation because Malcolm Butler is going to be the guy, at least to start the season.
2: I'm not sure. Do you think Malcolm Butler travels with number ones
1: next season? I think – he might have some help. I'm not sure he's going to be on the island, but yeah, if there's going to be a game plan where you're going to put one guy on their best guy, that would definitely be Malcolm Butler to start, no matter whom you draft, even if Sertan and Bertrand Barry is really high on Sertan. I mean, every time I talk to B train, he's like, look, I watched every one of their games. That kid is the corner in this draft. He is going to be elite and he is all in on Sertan, but even so, if there are games where you think it doesn't cater to his skill set and there's a bad matchup, Malcolm Butler is that guy. Cause you know, we were on, we were on the big red rage and it was Frank Sanders. And we asked Frank Sanders about the corner position as a receiver. And he said, what you have to worry about any corner in the rookie year is that they don't lose their confidence because corners will be beat. It's gonna happen. And you better make sure in addition to all the other measurables that you get a gauge of their confidence, of their mental fortitude. Because the first thing you're going to do in practice, every single receiver is going to target that rookie number one corner. And they're going to try and steal his confidence. And if that happens, you're doomed. That guy will never be the player you want him to be. That's Frank Sanders talking in his experience, a career of going against corners, Darren. I
0: I, I get where that's coming from. But when you're talking about the, the guys at the top, I mean – everything up first of all I heard Caleb Farley I mean this is the guy who didn't play last year cuz he opted out and then he's had the surgeries and this dude without blinking in fact you could tell he was wondering if he should say it out loud cuz you know he thinks it he's like I'm the best cornerback in the draft and so I don't worry about his confidence I've heard enough stuff about JC Horn I'm not worried that he thinks he's the best cornerback out there I haven't seen as much about Sertan but I, something tells me if people are saying you're the number one corner and you went to Alabama, I, I'm not worried about his confidence either. So, you know, maybe, maybe you're talking a mid-round pick who you need to develop. I could understand that. But I think when we're talking about these major top guys, I'm not worried about what their confidence is going to be.
1: Or maybe Farley is just taking after his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, who, by the way, told some of the National Insiders, Kyle, that Drew Rosenhaus says Caleb Fari is not getting past the middle of the draft, that Rosenhaus has talked to teams, dot, 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 which makes you wonder if Steve Kime is one of those guys that Rosenhaus has supposedly reportedly allegedly talked to.
2: Well, first of all, I don't see the upside of a team telling an agent that we're definitely going to draft your guy at 16. I mean, what's, why as a team, are you doing that? What does that serve you well for? And looking back at the, the cornerback, number two cornerback situation. I, I'm still looking at this division in particular. If DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are on the field together, your rookie cornerback is going against a good receiver if they're both outside and same thing with Devo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, Cooper cup. And I mean, there, there are going to be matchups against some very good wide receivers. And that's still my concern. Like no matter how talented these guys are, those guys that they're going against have these little tricks. Like Tyler Lockett knows what to do against inexperienced corners, so that's why I feel like I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket and, and trade up for somebody, even if you believe they're going to be great. I just think it goes back to, like you're saying, Paul, the, the window of opportunity here, where if you do believe in these next two seasons... I think putting so much emphasis on one player, one first-round pick, and basically punting on the rest of the draft, in essence, I think that's a lot of pressure on the guy, and if he doesn't work out, it could be a, a big negative for the team.
0: I, I will say, Paul, I, if, you, if you truly believe that Sertan, let's say, for instance, is the second coming of Patrick Peterson, I have a little less problem of making that, that move. But you better be 100 – well, you can't be 100. You better be 99.5% sure that that guy is another Patrick Peterson and is going to be a all-pro level cornerback for five to eight years if I'm trading up at this point. That's kind of how I would feel about
1: well, it. Well, I'd say it's a combination of what you both just said. It's what you said, Darren. You're completely convinced this guy is going to be a Pro Bowl corner. But to your point, Kyle – it's a dire need right now. To me, corner is more of a need than anything else on this team, period. Mm-hmm. It just is. And Kyle documented it with a pair of receiving threats every single division rival has. What do you have opposite Malcolm Butler right now? A huge question mark in Robert Alford. You can get away with the Cardinals offensive line for 2021. You can get away with the receiver room in 2021. And Pass rushers, absolutely. Linebacker, most certainly. Cornerback? No, that's the one box they have not checked yet, not completely. So to me, that would be the catalyst. That would be the impetus to get into the top 10 and make that deal. It's not only the player, it's the dire need. It's the urgency where you sit right now on a team that otherwise you think can make some serious noise this year.
2: But if if you get that desperate, that might start coloring your evaluation and making you believe that you think Patrick Sertan is the next Patrick Peterson and overlooking certain faults if there are any there and that's why I feel like if you're so gung-ho on doing something like that I would just worry about the possible downsides of it because if the Cardinals don't draft a quarterback even in the first two rounds there's cornerbacks in free agency you can talk trades with people there's, there's different ways to try to figure it out and I just feel like Being dead set on getting a cornerback at 16 or trading up if if somebody's there at nine, I I think that could do more harm than good. And I would personally just wait for it to come to me, trade down, accumulate picks, or maybe identify a veteran that I know is definitely a guy who's done it in the NFL for a long time. Those options to me would be more promising than trading up for a guy and really giving up too much draft capital and, and hoping that he's the guy you want.
0: And I, I know I know nobody would want to sit there saying our the top two cornerbacks on this team on the outside are gonna be on one year deals, but this draft's gonna be over. There's gonna be cornerbacks that are drafted, and then any veterans that are out there, and I don't have the list in front of me of who's still available, there's gonna be no better place potentially to then to go than to a Cardinals team that could use a number two corner if they don't draft one. And so they're going to be very attractive for a kind of a prove-it situation that you might be able to get one of the better ones who's still out there, whoever that might be.
1: Yeah. You know, just to pull back the curtain a little bit here on, on this podcast, Darren threw out a possible talking point today, and I'll just quote it directly. This draft is going to be weird again, but we're probably not going to have a Cliff House moment, quote-unquote, Darren. Not exactly sure what you mean by that, other than as a NorCal Bay Area guy, uh, Cliff House, you automatically think of that classic structure that's on the uh, edge of the uh, coast there, just north of Ocean Beach and south of the Golden Gate Bridge. That goes back to like the 1860s, the Cliff House that has been there. But I do like that monitor for the for the photo that blew up and went viral. That is a good way to term it. I, I I don't know if you've used that before. That's the first time I've seen you affix Cliff House to that picture.
0: That's the first time I've done it to the picture. I I've been to the quote unquote real Cliff House many times. The uh, the turn of the century. Spa place for the rich and hoity-toity out there in San Francisco. I love that. Which, area. by the
1: way, didn't make it through the pandemic. It's now closed anyway. As, yeah, as they closed down the restaurant. Yeah.
0: Really? Oh, that's yes. terrible. Yeah. I thought you meant. I thought you meant the real Cliff House didn't make it through the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. But I.
1: <laughs> no, I, that's well. It did burn down like once or twice. I think in the Great Fire and the earthquake in 06, it burned down. I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So. You know, I, I just I guess um, it, it, I think there is going to be some differences here. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I'm seeing on social media, the Rams are making the big deal about their beach house that they've rented out for their decision makers. And they're, they're going all in on making a big deal about that. But I mean, the Cardinals people are going to be in their regular draft room. There's going to be some moves. I mean, the, the food, because the draft room is right by where my uh, cubicle is. The food's going to be on the outside of the door. They're going to have some ways to like circulate a little bit more. They're going to try and spread out a little bit more, but it's going to be in the facility. You're not going to have Cliff Kingsbury at his house, but it is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a lot fewer places players that are going to Cleveland that are going to be there live. I think the last thing I saw was there was only 13 players that were going to be live in Cleveland for the draft party. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out compared to where we were. At this time last year compared to where we were this time two years ago
1: and by the way I guess I should specify that when I say the great fire and earthquake of 06 Kyle you're young enough that was a 1906 I'm not talking about 2006 so I just I probably should clarify that
2: I'm just wondering if you're getting paid per NorCal reference in this podcast because it's like 73 NorCal references already that's good
1: yeah, well, at my own expense, you know, really. That's, uh, I'm not the one who threw out Cliff House. Darren's been there, okay? It wasn't, it was, I mean, it's, it's, it's nationally known. I mean, come on now. It's, uh, anyway, all right. So do you have any sort of weird predictions, Kyle? Anything that, you know, is, I mean, do you think it's going to follow form as a lot of these mock drafts are going, oh, the hit rate on these mock drafts is miserable, beyond abysmal. Um, but do you think something weird is going to happen?
2: I think the opposite. I think what we've been thinking with the quarterbacks early is going to happen. I think it's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and probably Mac Jones three. And I bet your quarterback goes four, whether Atlanta takes one or trades down, does something. I think it's going to be a a heavy quarterback run early. And then that big group of of skill guys that we've been talking about and cornerbacks. I think they're gonna be in that next group. So I think it's gonna be pretty close to what we think, probably around through pick 12 or 13. And that's why it's interesting for the Cardinals is because we really don't know if one of those guys is gonna slip to 16. And it feels like you could easily make a case for it happening and you could easily make a case for why you're gonna pretty much go chalk and they won't have those guys available. But I think the Cardinals are right near that pivot point of where it could get a little wacky where the evaluations start to get a lot different between the teams because you didn't have the combine, because teams are relying so much on tape. The pro day measurements are are a little hard to figure out whether this guy really ran this fast in the 40. So I think you might see a a decent amount of action of guys wanting to move up or move down because their rankings are pretty uh, span a, a lot of different thoughts across the board. So I think once we get to the middle of the first round, that's when I feel like it might get a little bit interesting and the Cardinals could very well be right in the thick of that.
1: And so if this draft is mostly going to be chalk as, as a uh, Kyle used to term from March madness, right? If this is going to go chalk, like our, like the brackets, there's not going to be a lot of, you know, 15 seeds beating two seeds and you know? a, how about since that doesn't you know that does make for good listens and ratings on the podcast world. I mean, do we have sweeps months? Some, is April a sweeps month in the podcast world? I don't know. I go back to local TV. I'm going to bust out my second hot take. You ready for the second hot take? I saw where Skip Bayless gets. So I just got a new contract for like 5 million a year. So I'm just going all hot takes right here. And Maybe, maybe there's a scout out there. Maybe there's someone scouting the next hot take artist. Here we go. Is Kyle Pitts really? gonna be that transformational guy how many florida games did paulie pencil next see exactly zero but when i watch the highlights (laughs) what does he not fight the football a little bit he doesn't seem to be that natural pass catcher now i looked it up he supposedly had zero drops this past season zero but in some of the scouting reports they said he did have a few issues catching the ball earlier in his career at florida just when i watch him I don't see necessarily a natural pass catcher. And you guys tell me he's not a real dual complete tight end, right? He's more receiver than he is tight end. He's not there on fourth and one rooting out some defensive end. And they're not running behind him when they need yards that count. He's not a Gronk in that regard. So you're telling me he could be taken number four overall or somebody could give up a lot of draft capital to go up and take Kyle Pitts when, dare I say it, he could be like a glorified Dan Arnold, a glorified Ricky Seals-Jones. I really want to go hot take, but I just don't – you can mark this down, Jim Omohundra, producer of Cardinals Underground, two years from now, I want to revisit this whole Kyle Pitts thing. (laughs) I don't see him taking this league by storm.
0: See, again, it feels like Paul has an issue with people named Kyle. I don't don't get (laughs) it.
1: Oh Wait a minute. Nobody gave more love to Kyler than yours truly going into the 2019 draft. So come on now.
0: The R makes a difference.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, when he's playing quarterback and you need a quarterback, uh, you're all in, put it that way. (laughs) I agree
2: with you on the idea of, I mean, I don't know what Kyle Pitts is going to look like in the NFL, but there's a segment of Cardinals fans that would love to trade the farm and move up and get Kyle Pitts. If he's in that six, seven, eight range and, it would always worry me to take a tight end that early. Like we've talked about with cornerback too. I just feel like it's so expensive to move that high, to take a non quarterback that high and give up all that draft capital, nothing against Kyle Pitts, nothing against Patrick Sertan. I just, I don't know if it would be prudent to give up all that, all those resources for one player at a non-premium position.
0: I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think Kyle Pitts has got a chance to, um, be a difference maker, especially as a receiver in this league. Uh, I don't know if I quite seem as a glorified Ricky Seals Jones, um, <laughs> but I I, w- I would agree with Kyle. I liked his term earlier when about letting the draft come to you. I mean, I, I'm a little different with a cornerback. Maybe, maybe I consider it given the circumstances of what I might have to give up to move up, but I wouldn't be moving up for a tight end. I, that would be, that just wouldn't be happening in my, in my world. Yeah.
1: Let me redeem myself. I went too far with a glorified Ricky Seals. Goal. <laughs> uh, my, my my third hot take. My third hot take is how many picks do the Cardinals have in the sixth and seventh round? I have it right here. So they have like three, four, don't they? Don't they have three? They have two in the seventh. They have a six. Okay, so and they have a fifth. So they have four picks on the last day. Yeah. Use one of those picks, please, on a punter. Get a punter. Get a punter, Kyle. Get somebody who can, boom, send that ball to the rafters at State Farm Stadium. you got four picks on day three. Your punter is 39. He was um, inconsistent down the stretch last year. To me, that portends uh, some uncertainty. uh, Give him some competition. You need to get the best out of him. Find out if he still has that sort of caliber season left and what has been a great career for Andy Lee. But if there is really some sort of punting prodigy out there, don't take your chances once the last pick is submitted and you start hitting the phones. No, use a seven, one of your two seventh round picks, especially to Darren's point earlier, when there's going to be a paucity a dearth of talent on day three anyway, because so many guys aren't in this year's draft.
2: I mean, at least you walked it back to seventh round because first I thought fifth and sixth round was in the conversation and that wasn't going to happen. So your final pick, if you if you think you love a punter, fine, I guess. But Andy Lee is just fine. I'm not spending a draft pick on a specialist. I would rarely ever do that. I mean, I get it that a seventh round pick is a lottery ticket, but if you're doing the scratcher, you want the upside to be a hundred thousand dollars, not like five dollars when you win the <laughs> the big. Mega lottery, so I Are think you you have minimizing,
1: to, you're minimizing the importance of a an, an above-average punter.
2: Absolutely, I'm minimizing <laughs> that. <laughs> I am not on uh, team draft a punter, definitely not.
1: Where's Wolf when I need him? I rarely say that. I really, I rare, <laughs> I rarely say that. Where, where, where is? You know, I need more Wolf at this punter argument right now. I'm, I'm, I'm ill-equipped on that one. I'm just saying, I see it as a need, a long-term need, and if there's a guy there. And there's not a lot of other guys left in the seventh round. Even the sixth round I'd be on board with. Oh, obviously. no. Uh, I said, I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, you guys could call it a hot take or not. But you know what? I'm walking back my hot take. That's not a hot take. That's a legitimate contention. <laughs> when you
2: draft Jalen Thompson in the fifth round, J.J. Nelson and Andre Ellington in the sixth, I know it's rare to get solid guys late, but you can find solid players late. And taking a punter – is just a waste of a draft pick, in my opinion.
1: Wow. Okay, that's <laughs> we're doing the big red rage tonight. I'm gonna, I am gonna throw you under the bus, Kyle, with Ron Wolfley. So <laughs> before he attacks me, I'm gonna throw on that one there. Can we pull that quote out? I want that. Uh, I and want I
2: that. think I think Andy Lee has guaranteed money on his contract, so that that usually is a sign that they plan on keeping him as the punter.
1: You know. That probably snuffs out any last semblance of <laughs> my Paul's take.
0: like, hey, could you have that. mentioned that at the top of the take instead of end <laughs>
1: right of the take? Well, I didn't know that, that the punter has guaranteed money. <laughs> 39, they just re-signed him in the offseason. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, we, can we get an intern to fact check that? Because otherwise, otherwise, we'll just edit that out of the entire podcast. <laughs> my whole contention. All right. So what else do we have here? Marcus Gilbert. Um, I mean, that didn't take anybody by surprise, right? Darren, Marcus Gilbert, nobody was actually, he was, his name wasn't even in pencil on the depth chart.
0: No, I, I think, I think the writing was on the wall on that one. I mean, once Kelvin Beecham resigned, and you've got Josh Jones and you've got, you've got who you've got, it didn't, I, I just felt like after two years away, he wasn't going to be able to get back into it. And I, you know, I, I think it was probably about time. He, he had had the injuries even before all this happened. It's, it's tough to get back into the thing. He's newly married. So it, it made a lot of sense. And so, yeah, I, I think one way or the other, it was unlikely Marcus Gilbert was going to be on this roster anyways, but uh, it's, it's cool that, he, I mean, he had a nice career. He's got a ring or two, whatever he's got uh, from Pittsburgh. And, and I think ultimately um it would have been nice to see if he had been healthy in 2019. I think it could have made a difference for this team, uh, but he wasn't. So, and I yeah, don't yeah. think it was. I just I I do want to throw out. I don't think it was a bad trade. The, well, he retired yesterday, and you know the Kime haters come out and say another whiff by Steve Kime. I don't think it was a whiff by Steve Kime. I mean, it's it's terrible that he tore his knee up, but I think if you would have gotten if he would have played like it looked like he was going to play and didn't tear his knee up in 2019, I think that would have been a bargain of a trade. So injuries happen. I don't, I don't know if you lay that at the feet of Steve Kime.
1: You guys know this and Sean Kugler confirmed this, the Cardinals old line coach on the big red rage that by the end of camp 2019, he was considered the Arizona Cardinals best offensive lineman Marcus Gilbert. And so that was before DJ Humphries really started to blossom. And at that point, I mean, he was, it was looking like a great trade. And then a non-contact injury on a Wednesday practice or whatever it was going into the opener against Detroit. And he tears his knee and he's done for the year. A complete fluke happening. I was hoping, you know, privately, secretly hoping he would just take a prove-it minimum deal this year because he still wanted to play. And he come out and we'd be able to see him, both him and Robert Alford, because Robert Alford had a heck of a 2019 training camp. And then he got hurt towards the the tail end. I'd love to see. I want. I purpose. I, I personally wanted to see those guys in camp this year just to see if they still had it.
2: Yeah, I mean Marcus Gilbert has has been a solid player every time he's been on the field, and that was always the risk of the trade. He'd been pretty injury prone, and something might have happened when he came, and it did. So it was. Kind of a, a boomer bust type trade where you felt like if he was on the field he was gonna be an above average right tackle and they never got him out there. And now looking at the the right tackle spot, obviously Kelvin Beachum is is your clear cut starter at this point. And will Josh Jones get in that mix? Is he gonna compete for the the guard the right guard position? That that part of it will be interesting in camp. And Justin Murray has shown the ability to play right tackle if you need him to, so I feel like they've got some different guys that they're going to look at on the right side. Obviously, the left side is pretty locked down already, but it seems like Kelvin Beachum is is going to be that starting right tackle and then figure out what you do at guard. But also as a backup right tackle, if you have an injury, how does that position look if you need to replace Kelvin Beachum at some point? Mm
1: Well, to wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I really wasn't going to go there just because it is draft week, but if we're not going to be here come Sunday, according to Kyle Shanahan, then I might as well get my money's worth on this last podcast on one final Fitz theory. Since we've yet to hear anything from Larry Fitzgerald regarding his future in football, Did you guys happen to catch any of his commencement speech for the University of Phoenix, the graduating class at State Farm Stadium? And the gist of his message was, achieve your goals, finish what you start. And you have done that as college graduates. Well, in terms of his football career, yes, Larry has done pretty much everything. But if we're to believe him, and take his multitude of press conferences at face value, his one and only goal, or at least his first and foremost goal was to win a Super Bowl, right? Not make a Super Bowl, but win a Super Bowl ring, to quote his former head coach, a Super Bowl ring, which he doesn't have yet. So can we extrapolate from that that there is that unchecked box that according to his own commencement address he has yet to achieve the goal that he set out to hence he's going to play in 2021 uh
0: i mean that that's uh that i I will give you this um that seems a little less wacky than the last couple of your your theories um but i i really don't think it says anything about anything i you know it's funny i if you would have said in january we'd be sitting here on the podcast right before the draft and we haven't no we didn't know what was going to happen with larry fitzgerald we would have been like what and and it's like and now it's just like eh, you know you're, you're kind of like oh it hasn't had, it didn't happen this week so okay i guess we're just going to wait another week
1: so the fact that it looks like kyle we're going to go all the way through the month of april without an answer on larry's future does that tend to indicate he's done or he's still going to play? Because if you ask me, if you would ask me to Darren's point back in January, if we still didn't have an answer at the end of April. That would seem to indicate, well, yeah, he's playing. Because if you're done, why not find a time to announce it? You've had four months.
2: Well, Marcus Gilbert just announced this week. So I I think the longer it goes on, the greater the odds are that he's going to retire. I just feel like, You added guys in free agency, now the draft's coming. What if you you draft a wide receiver in one of the first two rounds? Then the opportunity for Larry Fitzgerald to get the ball is even less. And maybe the only overriding theme at this point for him is winning the Super Bowl, and he doesn't care about his role, but do you want to win a Super Bowl if you're the fifth receiver and barely even playing? I mean, it would be nice to win a title, but to have that type of role, to me, would not be attractive as a... Locked in Hall of Famer already. One of the greatest receivers in history. So I feel like the the odds are increasing that he's going to retire instead of play in 2021. But
1: until he says it for sure, I mean, who knows? Kyle, let the record reflect now. This will be my fourth hot take. This is a bonus hot take. Let the record reflect that I did not say play for the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, yeah. I just said play. And if you're looking to get that ring, as our Jim Omohundro has just documented via text message, Larry has done everything in the NFL except win it all. He won a wild card game. He lost a wild card game. He won a divisional game. He lost a divisional game. Won the NFC championship. Lost the NFC championship. Lost the Super Bowl. Oh, there's just one thing left. And if you're going to theoretically maximize your odds, to win that super bowl ring not just a super bowl but a super bowl ring you play for the coach who said that bruce arians and you go to tampa and the rainy super bowl champions who have run it all the way back and bringing back the roster almost completely intact plus fortifying it in the draft larry theoretically could have maybe a bigger role as the number three receiver in tampa kyle just called him the fifth receiver in arizona so if that's the case, apparently he could go to Tampa and be the third receiver, maybe for B.A. and Tom Brady, and there you go.
0: First of all, what what makes you think he's going to be the third receiver in the B- B- Buccaneers, other than you just don't know beyond Evans and Godwin who they have <laughs> on the roster.
1: I do not have their depth chart at my fingertips, but I'm confident Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, you know, he's already proven himself to that coaching staff once, uh, he'll do it again and he'll ascend the Bucks depth chart, pass any young punks behind Godwin and Mike Evans.
0: Again, and I can't remember if I brought this up on the podcast or if we were just talking or if I told somebody else this because all the days are blurring together and all the Larry Fitzgerald talk is blurring together. But if you're Larry Fitzgerald and you're going to play, I mean, aren't you doubly slapping the fan base in a lot of ways in the, uh, metaphorically, of course, in the face, if you go to play for Tampa, because because they're in the NFC, you're basically saying your team that you're a fan of, that you've been a fan of me for 17 years, doesn't have, won't come out of the NFC. It's going to be Tampa Bay. So I'm going to go bounce over there. I just That just doesn't seem like something Fitz would do. Well, I mean, I if it was an AFC team, I might understand it a little bit better, but not an NFC team. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: But, Darren, I mean, they just won the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, and the chances – And and, and you just missed the playoffs for the fifth straight year. Let's keep it real. I mean, what do the kids use? What's the uh, IRL in real life? Okay, IRL here. I mean, they they won the reigning Super Bowl champions. I mean, fans are – let's give fans a a modicum of credit for having the intelligence, the IQ to recognize that Tampa is maybe a little further along right now than the Cardinals are.
0: Well, and, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that, that realistically it makes a lot of sense, but I, I just I'm just talking about if you're Larry Fitzgerald, do you want to do that? I don't think he's going anywhere else. I, I, I've, I've said that from day one. Uh, I, I, if he was going to leave, and I've said this many times before, it was going to be right when the contract thing had, they had the issues 2013, 2014, whenever he signed that ex- extension then, when he was going to have a cap number of like $24 million and the cap was a lot lower and they, they redid his contract. That was his window to go. His window to go is, is not, he's not going anywhere else. And, and I could look like a fool, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to look like
1: a fool. Here's the last thing I'll say on this. And it's a question for Kyle. True or false Fitz fatigue is setting in to the Valley. You heard Darren. Uh, It's all bleeding together. It's blurring together. I talked to an A1 Cardinals fan his entire life. In fact, he had season tickets in 88. He's still a season ticket holder. And he literally told me, there's no bigger Fitz fan than this guy. Man, still waiting. What's the holdup? You can tell that, and maybe Larry knows human nature enough that if he continues to prolong this, the blowback will be lessened with each passing day, month, that at some point, people just want an answer. And the answer itself won't matter as much as just getting an answer. And now if the answer is Tampa, guess what? He's minimized that blowback by waiting until July 13th. (laughs) I think he's so
2: beloved here that even if he went to Tampa, I don't think there would be a humongous amount of, of backlash no matter when he announced doing it. But I mean, I guess there's some credence to that if he's trying to cushion the blow. And I definitely agree where in the beginning, it was like all the fans saying, Fitz, come back, Fitz, come back, Fitz, come back. And now it's like, Fitz, tell us what you're going to do. So it has it's definitely morphed a little bit where people just want to know what he's going to decide to do. I just, I don't know. I mean, Tampa Bay doesn't have the same relationship with Larry Fitzgerald as the Cardinals do. So if they're looking at it from a strictly X's, X's and O's type situation, is Larry Fitzgerald better than the slot receivers they already have? Does he improve their team? And if they think he does, then it makes football sense. But I think in that situation, it has to make football sense for Tampa Bay for it to happen. And that's, that's part of why I don't think it'll happen. I think, Fitz will be either the Cardinals or retire. And like I said, I think with every passing day, retirement seems like the more likely scenario. We're just, you want to have a role. I mean, every single player that's that good wants to be a big part of a team. And every, I mean, they, they just keep on adding guys and now we'll see what happens in the draft. But if you add another wide receiver to the fold, I think that just diminishes the chances once again.
1: So, uh, I gave you a bonus thought. If I call this added value, one last quick thought. Uh, will you guys? Reach <laughs> this isn't there?
0: officially a take.
1: You know, will, will you guys end the social distancing and somebody slug me if I give you an added value? In fact, you know what? Kyle has this coming because he made me look bad earlier <laughs> on the whole having Mr. Big Brain Kyle having knowledge of Andy's <laughs> Lee's guaranteed money on the punter's contract. I hope I'm right about that. <laughs> here's, here's my question You know, the Julio Jones. Equation isn't it, Julio Jones? That if they trade him, there is a huge disparity between whether they do it before or after June first. Yes. Right on the cap hit. Correct. Could the same financial dynamic exist with Larry Fitzgerald? That if he's going elsewhere, that there's something about the June first designation. We're all the Kyle. Don't laugh. Don't shake your head. Give me the knowledge. We need the knowledge right now. What's Larry's contract situation? Is he just a pure free agent at this point? Is there yeah. any sort of ramifications because of his signing bonus going back X number of years that June 1st is where he's stretching this out to because come June 2nd, he's gone? I appreciate you trying that side of
2: it, but there are absolutely no cap ramifications. He's a free agent right now. He can sign for whatever he wants to, whatever a team will give him, and that'll be the salary cap number, but it has nothing to do with June 1st at all with Larry Fitzgerald. (laughs) Dang.
1: You know what? You know what I need? I, I need, like, an analytics intern. I need, like, some, some kid over at ASU who's, like, in the advanced honors physics and math department who's into football analytics. I, I, I need to bolster my, my, my arguments. My, my son's it.
0: graduating in, in a week or two weeks. He's, he's, uh, he needs a job, and he, that's kind of his, his department. So maybe you can hire him. I'm sure that's you got good. a lot of money to throw around.
1: That's good, Darren. We'll, we'll, we'll tag team Tim Delaney, the VP of Broadcasting, to create a position, okay?
0: Speaking, uh speaking of money, uh, Andy Lee, uh, 1.5 million dollar salary, 650,000 of it is guaranteed this season.
2: Hmm. They're not drafting a
1: punter. <laughs> 650k come on. I mean you know they'll spend that on the spread Darren talked about outside the world. Come on, that's nothing in the NFL. By the way, Darren, are you going to walk by a little hit and run job over draft weekend? Get yourself. That's that's a good deal for you. It's right down from your desk. Don't tell us you're not going to go over there and fill your plate.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to, to partake in the uh, draft room food. I will have to go into a different part of the building.
2: <laughs> I see. Okay. And if he does, he's not going to announce it on the podcast. <laughs>
1: that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know what? I'm going to have security set up some cameras around the place <laughs> to make sure nobody's coming by there. Ron Wolf will show up on the security footage, I'll tell you that one. <laughs> All right, well, if we're not gonna be here come Sunday, I hope everybody was happy with what could have been the final edition ever. <laughs> Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.